Praise God. Turn over in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Praise God. We'll just see what the Lord has for us tonight. You know, as I've interacted with folks uh, since, especially that Sunday night service, some have had, you know, insights and, and some questions. Nothing critical, uh, but honest questions. And as we continue to move deeper into the era, God will continue to train us. Amen. Bring other people that are brand new to these things further along. And so there'll be a need for experience and precept and participation, but there'll be a need for instruction uh, in, uh, that, is, that is needed for the era. And so if that's what we get tonight, if that's what the emphasis of the Spirit, thank God for it. It's no less holy, no less, no less powerful uh, or necessary than any other kind of way that God would move. In Luke chapter number 5, uh, around verse, let me find it here. Um, praise God, around verse 30, yeah, 36. Let's begin reading in just a few verses to the end of the chapter. It says, And he, Jesus, spoke also a parable unto them, and said, No man puts a piece of a new garment upon an old. If otherwise, then both the new maketh rent or torn, and the piece that was taken out of it, out of the new, agreeeth not with the old. No man, notice verse 37, puts new wine into old bottles. Else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles shall perish. But the new wine must be put into new bottles. Both are preserved. No man having drunk old wine straightway or immediately desires new, for he says, the old is better. Hallelujah. Now, praise God, we know that wine and new wine is specifically mentioned in the Scriptures, Old and New Testament, as a type of the Holy Spirit and a type of His ministry to His people. Hallelujah. And so here Jesus uh, makes mention of a new thing. Amen. Uh, new wine. Praise God. Uh, the emphasis in this small, short parable of only three verses has to do with two elements. New wine and wine skins. In other words, and we've talked about this some in our mentoring classes lately, that we are as Christians, we are vessels. We are vessels. And God will pour into us. We already are containers, amen, of God Himself. We have God on the inside. And uh, that could only, that's, that's the greatest miracle really God's performed other than the resurrection. Hallelujah, is the new birth that uh, this earthen vessel could contain God on the inside uh, of us. And, uh, but it's not just the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is alluding to here. New wine, amen, is a type of the ministry of newness, revival, and refreshing. These are specific works of the Spirit. Uh, God will constantly want to make uh, our Christian life ought to be new, fresh, amen, uh, that we ought to not be dry, we ought to not be stale, but we're living in a constant state of being revived and refreshed. Amen. Hallelujah. But, and this, this uh, ministry, it's not of us. We just cooperate with it. This is a function, uh, a benefit, a ministry of the Holy Spirit to us. That's represented in the phrase new wine. Our part is described in this parable as the wineskin. And there's two possibilities. You could be an old wineskin or a new wineskin. Now, an old wineskin, that's not a derogatory term. It just means an old wineskin is a skin that's had wine in it before. And all that means is, is that uh, this would be a person who's enjoyed the ministry of the Spirit at one time. Because at one time it was a new wineskin. And it, it was on the cutting edge. But now that time has passed. And the wine has been spent. 
And you can't take that old, experienced wineskin and it receive the new thing, the new wine, the new thing God wants to pour into it. So really, to you, know, you just get to the crux of the matter. You can see, to be on the cutting edge, to receive the new wine, what, God wants, what the Holy Spirit wants to do today, you have to change your condition. You thank God for what has been, but you've got to make yourself a new wineskin. Because an old wineskin, that which has had the experience of the old, amen, will not be able to receive the new wine. So we have to change our condition to become a new wineskin. And by becoming a new wineskin, we are now able to receive the brand new thing that God through the Holy Spirit is wanting to do. Amen. Amen? Let me uh, maybe help you understand what I'm talking about by quoting something Dr. Dufresne used to tell us. And uh, he would say this to us, every person that moves with God will be refreshed. Every person that moves with God will be refreshed. In other words, you can't stay static and have one encounter, you know, participate in one flow of God And then that be the only flow you're ever going to be willing to participate in. That'd be like a surfer saying, I caught one wave and I'm done. Because it's not the same wave. It didn't crest the same. It didn't rise to the same height. It didn't go the exact same direction. I'm not familiar with any other wave. I like that one wave and I'm just going to wait around for that wave to re... It ain't coming back. You might as well put up your surfboard and go figure out something else to do. Go play golf or something. Are you with me? You getting what I'm talking about? And uh, so I came across a sermon that was given by a minister. Uh, I don't feel led to tell you the name. Uh, That's not important. But I came across this uh, sermon and it was uh, preached in 1998. And this would be really right in the peak and height of Brother Hagin's time on earth. Uh, Amen. And, And... I had come into acquaintance with their ministry at that time, had begun to go to meetings. Miss Cheryl, uh, Amber, some of you uh, were in some of those meetings. And uh, she, uh, she's got the sermon on new wine. I just want to summarize some things she said about this parable that I liked. The first thing she said, obviously, is that new wine is new. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's new. It's not old. It's not familiar. It's the new wine literally would have been this year's harvest. That's how current it is. It was the grape on the vine this year. It's the latest wine on the scene. In other words, new wine is cutting edge. Nothing stale about it. Amen. And I like this that uh, this minister says about this. The Holy Spirit is always doing something new. God is the God of the living. He's the God of the now. And He has something for every generation. And He is raising up new moves of the Spirit, pioneering new things, initiating new thrusts into uncharted areas or territory. As uh, His last move begins to fizzle out, turning inward, relying more and more on the arm of the flesh, God starts something new. Something often regarded as radical to the older folks. He doesn't mean aged people. He means people familiar with the last move. Now, like this statement, God is radical rather than conservative. He's radical. We're not to be looking back with nostalgia upon the good old days, but to be looking forward in anticipation to the coming kingdom of God. The children in the wilderness were warned not to eat yesterday's manna. It became a seething mass of worms and rotted if it was not used in its time. So it is when Christians refuse to partake of the new things that God is doing. The old isn't good enough. It has become rotten. It doesn't sustain the same degree of spiritual life. You must enter into the new, pick up today's supply of manna from heaven and enjoy God's new things for today. See, this is how you stay current with God. This is how you don't burn out your spiritual life. But you've got to maintain a willingness to adjust, change your thinking, and your emphasis. 
Hallelujah. Amen. Now, I don't like change for change's sake. I don't like that. But I do not want to be a rutted Christian. Amen. Some of you, sometimes you just do little things to keep yourself from getting in a rut. You always sit in the same place in this sanctuary. Change it up. Back on back row, get up in the, next, in the front row next service. You sit in this section, sit on the other section. Amen. Be willing to a change. Don't get stiff. Amen. The next thing she says about this parable, uh, talking about new wine, is that new wine is active. In other words, when you put new wine into a new wine skin, it is active. It is in the fermenting process. The process that uh, produces the alcohol is at work. And she describes it. New wine is not finished. It's still in the fermentation process. The chemical reaction that forms the alcohol is still going on. It is bubbling. New wine is bubbling. Hallelujah. It is expanding and releasing gases. Things are released. That's why you cannot put new wine in an old wine skin. Because the old skin is dry. See, I don't want to see. Come on, and you could, in any season of your life, you could go from new wine skin to old wine. You could probably be a new wine skin one service and an old, dried out, bacon in the sun Christian the next service. Come in these doors a new wine skin every service. The old skin is dry and not flexible, flexible enough to handle the activity within. See, I like that nugget. In this era, to flow with God, to go with God, we're going to have to be flexible. How long are we going to sing? 25 minutes. How many songs are we supposed to sing? Two on Wednesday night and three on Sunday morning. Listen, we cannot get so rigid. I'm not saying you are, but I'm just saying in the move of God, we might sing the whole service. We might come in and not sing at all. Amen. The praise team might hit, hit the high, high note song on the first one. You see what I mean? Old wineskins are dry and stiff and rigid. And you know how you know that you're in that condition? You, you're critical. Old wineskins are critical. Because they're not receiving the new flow. Amen. God is not the one that makes you a new or an old wineskin. You are. I am. Amen. So she says, the old skin is dry and not flexible enough to handle the activity within. It soon cracks and you lose both the wine, meaning the move, and the wineskin, meaning the person. Now we don't want to lose the move and we don't want to lose the person. So we got to, you got to get both ingredients right. So it is with the new move of the Spirit. Unpredictable things are happening all the time. It's not finished. It hasn't reached its final state. When it does settle down and fall into a predictable pattern, meaning whatever God is doing, it's no longer a revival. See, if it's predictable, it's not a revival. It's business as usual. Amen as man finally brings the move of God under his control. And I agree with this minister. I have no desire to bring the Holy Spirit under my control. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. God is a God of order. But God's order is not the order of straight rows and predictable chair, you know, services. When the Holy Spirit is in charge, you may get out at noon, you may not. You may hear two sermons that one day or you may hear none. There may be a time of ministry that looks like complete chaos. Looks like complete chaos to those who have been reared in more traditional religious surroundings like me. But if the Spirit is orchestrating the events in its order, it is in order. 
Our own concept of church order is not based on the New Testament pattern. But uh, this person says, rather, on some ritualism developed by the church in the Middle Ages. You have to leave room for the Spirit of God to work in your life. Come on, are you willing to do that? If you're too busy to accommodate yourself to His will and timing, then you're too busy. He must also have liberty to do what He desires in our churches. How dare we put the Lord on a timetable? How dare we dictate to Him when He can and cannot move among us? How dare we relegate the gifts of the Spirit to a few seconds' time after worship, only in tongues and interpretation or an occasional prophecy? Amen. How can we say we are the church of Christ if He is not allowed to have His way in our midst? Praise God. Then I like this. Is your skin flexible enough to handle new wine? Isn't that good? I thought, I'm not going to plagiarize it. I'm just going to read it from the page. Amen. A pastor during the Toronto outpouring several years ago. Well, when I say that, maybe 20 years ago now. uh, He made this statement. God is offending our minds to test our hearts. Some of the things, some of the ways the Holy Ghost demonstrates himself, moves on people, can shock the mind, can offend the mind. And in offending the mind, he's testing the heart. Amen. I like that statement a lot. He is pushing our religious wineskins to the limit to see if we're flexible enough to handle the great work that he desires to do in our day. Let me stop right there. Wow. Hallelujah. Reverend Joel said something to me in private that I thought was such a treasure, I'm going to make it public. He said, you know, Chris, it seems to me, it seems that this flow, talking about the wildness, the the running, the dancing, the drunk in the spirit, the laughing. He said that this flow, it seems to me, is necessary to get to what's next. Because it crucifies the flesh. Especially if you're new, you've got to crucify your flesh to enter into a flow like we had Saturday night and Sunday night. (laughs) Right? Amen. And see, we've got to excel in this flow. Because there's a different, there's a greater, there's something beyond it. But it requires a crucified flesh. And God will use the absurd. Right? Right? He will use the embarrassing. Whatever you want, whatever adjective you want to put on it. To test you individually and us corporately. Are we, will, are we going to trip and, and hinder the move of God because we're concerned about our reputation? How we might look in front of others, what others might think as we yield? See, because it's that kind of resistance and pride that hinders whatever this greater thing is. But see, God got us in the body of Christ to a point, amen, in the 90s, but we shut it down. We didn't get to that what's next. I want to get to what's next. But we have to get there in succession. We don't get to dictate. The Holy Ghost is driving this thing. Jesus, the head of the church, is driving this thing. Amen. So I really like this. Are our skins flexible enough to handle new wine? God is offending our minds to test our hearts. He is pushing our religious wineskins to the limit to see if we're flexible enough to handle the great work He desires to do next. I'm just saying, don't think that as, and it's, I'm not diminishing it, it's glorious, right? Weighty, wonderful, refreshing, powerful. It's not the height. That's not the crest of the wave. You understand? That's not the crest of the wave. Amen. Praise God. You know, I would imagine, I don't know why I'm on the surfing thing tonight, but I would imagine that you kind of take waves in a progressive fashion. Yeah. 
Now, way in my BC days, there was a movie, I think, called, well, there was a movie. And it had Patrick Swayze in it. And I watched it, and you shouldn't watch it because it's inappropriate. But I wasn't saved then. But anyway, they were out in Australia or some in California, some of these places where the waves are like, you know, that's not a wave, that's a tsunami. You know, it's a wall of water 35 feet high. I, what I'm saying is, I don't think the surfer takes, that's not the one he learns on. Right, amen, amen. You know what I mean? I would imagine in some nice, calm two-foot waves, three-foot waves, you kind of learn to get your legs under you, learn how to actually ride the thing before you're really doing the thing in the tube where we can barely see you. You know what? Things are progressive. Amen. I just don't want you to think that as wonderful it was that, you know, that that was the height of the crest of the great wave. Thank God for it. But see, in it, we have to be faithful in, in this flow. See, if we're not okay with this flow, we ain't going to be okay with whatever's coming next. Hallelujah. Then, uh, praise God, conditions, and they mean in the world, are dire. Well, it's more dire now. There is much to do, and there's much more to do now. And the time is short. And it's shorter now. Look for God, this minister says, to institute even more radical measures in the next few years. New wine is active, it's in ferment, it's ever-changing, and it's repositioning itself. We just have to be open. Okay, here's another attribute that they give about new wine. You ready? New wine is intoxicating. Now, keep your finger here, but go to Acts chapter 2. Now, when I say this, you know, when I quote things like, um, God is offending our minds to test our hearts, that doesn't mean that some questions are not totally legit, right? And that there's not a learning process and, and things to be had. Amen? Praise God. And um, it, it's normal. It's, it's, it's not wrong to, to first in your new thing to encounter a body of believers stumbling around like they can't walk. Acting like they're or looking like they're intoxicated under alcohol. And to wonder, is that God? Could that be God? That, that's not wrong. I've asked those questions before in my life. Well, again, let me remind you of something. You know, the Bible, thank God for the Bible. Amen. You know, you'd be surprised sometimes of actually what's in the Bible if you really read it. <laughs> Look at Acts chapter 2. And just to summarize, because I've got quite a bit, it's almost 8 o'clock, and I've got quite a, quite a bit more I'd like to get to, but we'll see. Uh, praise God. Um, we know that the uh, day of Pentecost is accounted here. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound of a... Rushing mighty wind, it filled the whole house where they were sitting, right? The Holy Ghost was poured out upon 120 believers and they were all filled, right? Filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, right? Skip down to uh, verse number 12. Read with me verse number 12 and 13. Now, by this time in the passage, I didn't read all these scriptures, a crowd had gathered. They, hadn't, they weren't in the flow. They're outsiders, they hadn't experienced what these others had experienced. Amen? And, but they're observing things and they're hearing things. And it says, And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. Now, why would they say that? Why would that be the accusation? If the 120 were walking in a straight line not slurring their words, and their emotions were all under control, you wouldn't accuse them of being drunk at nine in the morning. If you just observed, you didn't know, and you came up on a crowd and saw a scene, and you accused them, not of being a riotous mob, but of being, they, these people are just drunk on new wine. Cheap wine, translations say. You got the cheap stuff. What must they have witnessed? They accused them of that because they looked like that. 
<laughs> That's what they looked like. That's why they accused him of it. But had they been drinking? No. Well, yes. Right? New wine. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. So this thing of this manifestation of the Spirit in drunkenness, right? Where's stammering around in the Bible? It, the Bible doesn't say stammering around. It says drunk. It, it doesn't have to spell it out for you. It's drunk. People have seen it. They know what that... You don't need to define it. We all know what that looks like. Maybe you don't. You're too holy. Amen. Right? Uh, I'll just quote this to you. You might write the reference down. Ephesians 5.18. This is another reference. Ephesians 5.18 says, Paul said, don't get drunk on wine. Which leads, I'm reading the God's Word translation, which leads to wild living. Instead, be being filled with the Spirit. Notice here, Paul likens in a way getting drunk with wine with being filled with the Spirit. You understand Satan, is, he, is, he doesn't have a creative bone in his body. He doesn't. He's not a creator. He, he, he imitates. He copies. And he gives the world a cheap, evil, wicked, twisted, far inferior, you know, copy, substitute for the real deal. In the world, it's alcohol. In the world, it's drugs. Right? Now, why would people go out and get drunk? For many reasons. They're depressed. They don't want to feel like that for a while. Uh, you know, they like the way it makes them feel. Well, amen. Do Christians ever deal with depression? Do Christians ever get down and gloomy? Do we just face things in life even when we're going strong for God where we could really use a good shot in the... Well, shot in the of the Holy Ghost. Right? Right there he's connecting the two. Do not get drunk on wine. That leads to wild living. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. This, this is interesting. Let me find this. I looked this up right before church. Webster's 1828 Dictionary for the word drunk. Sounds like a holy word, doesn't it? Okay. Here's how Noah Webster, a dedicated Christian, defined this word. Intoxicated, inebriated. I like this. Overwhelmed and overpowered by spiritus liquor. <laughs> Stupefied or inflamed by the action of spirit on the stomach and brain. His second definition, I like this. Drenched or saturated with moisture. That's a demonic copy. But God has the real thing. Where you can be overwhelmed and overpowered by the Spirit. Influenced by the action of the Spirit on your stomach and brain. Drenched. Is not the Holy Spirit described as rivers? Water? Come on. Well, how about, you think there's any spiritual benefit for God's people in being drenched and saturated with the moisture of the Holy Ghost? Man, there's a whole lot of Christians that need a whole lot of that right now. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. So the Weiss translation of Ephesians 5 says, On this account, stop, be stop becoming those who are without reflection or intelligence, but instead understand what the will of the Lord is. Stop being intoxicated with wine, in which state of intoxication there is prolificacy or, or riotous living, but be constantly controlled by the Spirit. Hallelujah. Uh, 
the New Living Translation says, Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, you may or may not know this if you've studied revivals of the past. But manifestations of drunkenness show up in almost every revival we have any history or record of, including this one in the book of Acts. Let, let me read some of this to you. Remember Jonathan Edwards was a young man that God used to spearhead what we call the Welsh Revival or the, great, the first Great Awakening in the 18th century. Okay, And listen to this. Uh, emotional excess or manifestations of drunkenness were not uncommon. Jonathan Edwards, one of the great theologians and thinkers of American history, experienced this sort of behavior in his meetings during the Great Awakening. His wife was often so drunk in the spirit that her head would fall into her food at the dinner table. <laughs> I'm just visualizing that. Praise God. A hundred years later, evangelist Charles Finney reported people falling off their benches while he preached. Efforts to revive them or bring a semblance of order to the meetings were often in vain. <laughs> in the original Methodist, that's my heritage, Methodist camp meetings, people were laid out like cordwood as they fell under the power of the Holy Ghost in Methodist services way back when. Peter Cartwright spoke of heads snapping like whips as the convicting power of the Spirit pierced their hearts. The Azusa Street Revival and the Latter Rain Revivals of the 20th century experienced similar manifestations. Drunkenness, falling, fainting, uncontrollable laughter, and weeping. Like it or not, this is what happens during a move of God. Sometime during the weekend, I talked about some of the experiences we had at Winter Bible Seminar, how they would call taxi cab companies and they would all be lined up to time the end of the services. And the ushers would just pick up people like we had them out in our sanctuary, just pick them up, open up a cab door and toss them in the back and they go, what hotel? A Holiday Inn. And just say, Holiday Inn. Because they were too overcome by the power of God, amen, amen to drive themselves home. And the usher said, we're not staying here all night. <laughs> amen. You know, Reverend Joel, who's part of those meetings too, he said, you know, Chris, I tell young people today about how long we had to stand in line to get into a church service and they, they don't believe me. I'm like, I stood in that line. Those meetings were at 7 o'clock on Winter Bible Seminar, right? You remember what time they opened the doors? So they opened the door two hours early, 5. If you weren't in line by 1 o'clock, you've you got 2,000 people ahead of you in line. And you're standing outside in February in Oklahoma. It's cold. What's that? Yeah, line go all the way outside, all the way around the building. And I tell you what, people had to, they lost their salvation trying to get their seat. They had to get saved once they got their seat. <laughs> Because they had bloodied a nose and said, that's my, watch out. And I mean, it was pandemonium. People were so hungry to get into those meetings in the 90s. Now today, to have a Word of Faith church like ours or a Holy Word and Spirit church like ours, Brother Hagin used to call in the, at the height of that movement a 200-member church a small church. But in camps across the land, if you've got 200 Word and Spirit people in a church, you've got a strong church. That's how far it's diminished. But see, God's doing something new. Here's her, uh, this person's last observation on new wine, and that is no wine for the satisfied. Go back there to Luke 5 real quick. Y'all all right? Yes, Hallelujah. Luke chapter 5. So, you know, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, there, there are witnesses in the Word about the manifestation of someone being filled with the Spirit to the point they look like someone who's been drinking alcohol. Yeah. Hallelujah. Um, 
in the last verse here of Luke chapter 5, at the end of this parable, notice it says, No man also having drunk what? They drank the old wine. No man who drank the old wine immediately or straightway wants the new. Did you get, I never saw this before. Did you get what he's saying? What will the person who drank the old wine say? The old is better. That old way of doing church. The normal way of doing church. That's better. Three songs, transition, offering, short, short offering, sermon, out at 12 o'clock, out at 12.15. That's better. See, they've been drinking the old. So it's, it didn't say they never would, but it said the one who's drunk the old wine won't immediately say the new wine. They'll say the old wine's better. The old way's better. See, we got we to gotta watch ourselves in this. Amen. Praise God. So to quote this sermon again, notice the final statement of Jesus regarding the new wine of his ministry. And no one having drunk the old wine immediately desires new for he says the old is better. Those who are satisfied with what they already have will not be willing to drink the new wine. Those who like business as usual churchianity will resist the rocking of their religious boats. The person who is content in a time of spiritual decline will not be happy in a time of revival. We'll say that again. The person who is content or happy in a time of spiritual decline, and that's what we've been in since Dad Hagen went home. Amen. Now there's some things beginning on the rise. I remember Dr. Dufresne got over the spirit uh, in New Albany, Indiana and said to the, the drought is over. That was 2010. The drought is over. And so God's been wanting to build it and do something new since then. Gosh, now we're in 2019. The person who is content in a time of spiritual decline will not be happy in a time. I've decided I'm, gonna be, I'm, gonna be, I'm, not, I'm not satisfied. I'm not content. I'm not going to be crusty. I'm not going to be dry. I'm not going to be stale. I am hungry. I am thirsty for the new. I don't know what it's going to taste like yet, but it's new and it's God and I want it. They say the two conditions are totally contrary to the other. Amen. Don't force people against their will to get in the flow. Just shine all the brighter so that your joy will create a thirst in them for the wine you're drinking. You just need to be so full of God, they'll finally say, I want what they're having. I won't, I won't, give me what they're having. Pass one of those over here. <laughs> Hallelujah, isn't that good? Praise God. Praise God. Let, let me, you got, I got about three more minutes, right? Praise God. <clears throat> I got 10 or 20 or whatever. <laughs> um, go, let's, let's go to First Peter. Maybe we'll, we'll stop preaching at least here at First Peter. We'll see. Hallelujah. So I talked to you just a little bit about the scripturalness and the, the history and revival about the manifestation of drunkenness. <laughs> and people again say, well, what's the purpose? Well, again, why would anybody get drunk? They're either having fun or they're trying to drink their blues away. Yeah. Right? Dr. Dufresne said, everyone who moves with the move of God will be refreshed. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> 1 Peter chapter 1, let's just, pick, all of this is so good, those first verses, but we don't have time to read them all. Let's just pick it up in verse 6. Wherein, talking about the life of faith, does it say, what does it say you do in this life of faith? Does it say you rejoice? It says you greatly, greatly rejoice. Though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness. Now notice in the natural, they're going through a hard time. They feel heavy. But what are they supposed to be doing? Greatly rejoicing. Even though you are now in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial or test of your faith, 
being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love, in whom though now you see... Now it says him, but that word him is in italics. The principle of faith is, though now you see not, because you're walking by faith. You don't see it in the natural. Though now you see not, yet believing, what, believe in what? What you can't see, you, you rejoice. How? Look at the description on it. You rejoice with joy undescribable, unspeakable, and full. Your, your rejoicing is full of glory in a time where in the natural it's heavy, it's hard, you're going through some stuff, you don't feel like it, but because you're a faith person and you've got these exceedingly great and precious promises, hallelujah, by faith you greatly rejoice, even though you see, but because you believe, you rejoice with joy unspeakable. Full of glory. Now notice, because you do that, what is the first word of verse 9? Receiving. See, here's one reason why people don't receive what they start out believing God for in a hard time. They don't do the right thing in the hard time. They mope around, say, yeah, Jesus, I'm believing God, but it's really rough right now. No, that's not what it says. He says you should rejoice greatly, though you see not. But because you believe, believe what? The promise of God, the Word of God. You rejoice with joy. You, you do what? And when you don't see, when you don't feel, you rejoice. Do you get it? You rejoice. You rejoice with joy, unspeakable and full of glory. Do you get that? Do you see that? Wow. Praise God. Uh, whoo. And that is how you get to receiving the end of the outcome of your faith. You see, it's this rejoicing flow that helps you stay strong. Joy of the Lord is your strength that gets you to the end of your faith. When does, when does faith end? When what you're believing for shows up. So that time that we have not seeing, not feeling, enduring the heaviness, we have an assignment. And that is to rejoice greatly. That is to uh, have joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now again, people who are honest and heartfelt and sincere, but thinkers, have questions about all this running around. All this shouting. All this laughing. All this running about. All this activity. And that's fine. It's called rejoicing. That's what it is. It's called rejoicing. We're, I, want, I want to see twirling in the Bible. I want to see, uh, you know, running in a church service in the Bible. You won't. But it's in there. It's called rejoicing. Now, now think about it. You know, if the bank, the bank called you up. and who's, Who in here has got a mortgage? Kind of a hefty one for your, you know, it's not you're paying it, but it's a mortgage. You got one. Okay. And the bank called up and said, listen, we're here to inform you that uh, someone came and just paid off the principal. Don't send us any more money ever. Would you need instruction on rejoicing? Would you need someone to come along and give you scriptures? On what rejoicing looks like. Okay, how many uh, sports fans we got in here? Oh, come on, y'all liars. All right. Come on, okay, not everybody's a sports fan. But you can get this, right? You've seen them. Uh, Big Blue. They're deep in the tournament. They're in a close game. But they make the last minute shot with time expiring on the clock. They win. Game over, they win. Do you need instruction? 
And what kind of manifestations have you witnessed? Oh my God! My family could tell you some of the things I've done watching OU football games. It's not always the same. I'm not following a script. I might run down the stairs, run back up, beat on the wall, do a high five. Oh my God! Where did that come from? It came from the euphoria of the news, of the witness of what you observed and how it made you feel. I mean, if Publishers Clearinghouse called you on the phone and said, you are the winner of the $500 million Powerball, would you need instruction on rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full. Might you look back and go, I wonder what I looked like. I wonder what they thought. Now, now see, here's the difference. We get that, right? We've been in stadiums, ball games. We've had those moments. And you might say, Pastor, that's obvious. It is obvious. It is absolutely obvious. You don't need any help, any instruction. I don't need you to do my praising for me. I'm excited and I'm going to show it. And it's not, you don't win the $500 million Powerball and go, yes, I have joy in my heart. (laughs) Be like, did you hear me right? Is Is that right? How does this, why do so many people struggle enter into the God rejoicing flow? There is a huge difference. And that is, you don't feel like it. When the team wins the last shot, you feel like it. When the bank calls and said the debt's uh, gone out, you feel like it. When you win the Powerball, you, you, you got the feeling. You feel like it. But notice what these scriptures teach. When you're in manifold temptations. Right? When you're in a season of heaviness, that means pressure. It says, do this, it says, act this way, enter into this flow. Well, what's going to be different then? You're going to do what you don't feel like doing. Now, this is where people have had honest questions. I, nothing came on me. I, I, you know, I, I saw people experiencing things and taking part, but not me. Well, here, here's just, it's not a criticism, it's something to help you. Wigglesworth said this, I start in the flesh, but I end up in the spirit. I start in the flesh, I end up in the spirit. Listen, if, if in these moves, when they happen, if you're standing there, I'm open, I'm, I see it, oh, it's God. Okay, okay, get, okay. Uh, okay. Get me, Lord. Well, He might, but the reason most of the time you'll stay on the outside looking in is because if it happened the way you're thinking it should, that would be Him forcing you. That would be Him making you. And you got to understand the Holy Ghost. He's not like that. Demons are like that. He's not going to come on you and force you to act a fool. He's not going to, right? He's not going to force you to, right? Amen. You have to, by faith. Everyone say by faith. You have to, by faith. Now, what happens when you act in faith? When you act in faith, does something happen? When you act in faith, you connect with power. This is how people, this is how you enter in. You start in the flesh, you end up in the spirit. He will meet you when you, by faith, say, I don't feel like it. I'm dealing with all kinds of problems and all sorts of pressure. But just because pastor pointed out 1 Peter 1, 8 and 6, it says, greatly rejoice. Here I go. And when you do it, not feeling like it. You just open the spout where the new wine flows out. Amen. 
And then the more you do that, the more overcome, the more under the control of, more you're under the influence. That's what they say, right? We're arresting you because you're under the influence. Listen, did the, did, the, did the can pop open and someone open? And No, that's not how that worked. They took action. They went there and they bought it. They drank it down. And if they didn't get that loving feeling, they drank another. They kept on until they connected with power. I'm trying to help you and we're having fun with it, right? How do you partake of the new wine? Stop waiting for him to overpower you and make you dance or run or leap. You start out by faith. Now, I'll give you an example here. Y'all all right? Towards the latter part, two thirds, we were probably two thirds into that move Sunday night. I was sitting over here trying to sober up. I mean, somebody need to be sober. Somebody need to drive home. My daughter definitely wasn't driving home. Amber wasn't driving home. Somebody's going to need to drive home. Somebody's got to be behind the wheel of the service. Reverend Joel wasn't behind the wheel of the service anymore. <laughs> so I'm over here minding my own business trying to sober up. And I'm just sitting there kind of basking in the glory, watching, watching the move, watching, watching people do what they're doing. <laughs> and I had this thing come at me, go march up those steps. I thought, Father, march up those steps. Why? He didn't say, because, no, he just marched up those steps. I just had a witness. I just had that on the inside of me. March up those steps. About the fourth or fifth time, I go, it's all about yielding and obeying. And I mean, I talk off, took off up here. Now, I have been in, I'm in the third phase of the pastoral ministry of my life. There's four steps up here, right? So, one, two, three. And when I took this fourth step, and I got up here, the power of God hit me, and I heard God say, you've come up to another place. Come up to another place. See, God, I got to something He wanted to do. What if I'd not? What if I waited on Him to make me so under that I'm just, He does it through me. He said, you go march up those steps. And I mean, the power of God hit me. And I guess, I don't know if that's Chris, when I got Bruce or Jim or whenever you thought I, pastor's hurt, we need to look out for him. I don't know. I know Amber said that that was God because all these people got up doing the same thing and we never tripped on a cord. We never bumped our head. We never broke an instrument or knocked over a microphone. But anyway, after that, God would deal. Well, it was Miss Sue back there gotten drunk in the Holy Ghost. She said, Pastor, I'm going with you. I'm going too. That was her faith. That was her expression of her heart. I just let, I grabbed her by the hand and said, come on, sis, we sure are. And I was led to do that with different ones. But see, my point was, I was prompted to do the action. He didn't do the action for me. You, this is just gain some skill night. So when the man of God starts going, ha, 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 and that's the last thing you feel like doing. Just remember, if you want to enter in, if you want to enter in, what do you got to do? Ha, 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 ha. Well, nothing happened. Just listen, what, what if nothing? Yeah, I got to a place in my center life where six beers didn't really do it for me. What did I have to do? Drink another one, baby. Just drink another one. Because I knew if I drank enough, I'd get the effect. Do y'all know you can drink at home? You don't have to just come to church to drink at home? You can drink at home? Y'all do know I'm talking about spiritual things? Somebody's half listening, doing homework, and got the service on the live stream. They got interested now. Did pastor say I could drink at home? Sweet. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm talking about participate with the Spirit of God. And some people say, you're talking in a, in a blasphemous way. These, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Yes, we are. We are talking about the Holy Spirit. And it's the work, it is a work of the Holy Spirit to fill you up, take all your cares away, wash you, make you new, get you refreshed. You don't have a care in the world. Hallelujah. Right? I heard one very well-known preacher say this. He said, life is too difficult as a Christian on this planet to be lived sober. Life down here on this planet wasn't meant to be lived sober. Some sinners got that figured out. I'm, again, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about learning to live a carefree, worry-free, anxiety-free. I'm a new wineskin. Come on. And I'm, I'm learning how to enter in on purpose to whatever flow the Holy Ghost has us in. See, some people say, well, okay, maybe you're helping me on this laughing or jumping or how to enter in. That's great. But you know what? Some people, when we're singing to God, they don't enter in. Are you waiting for the spirit of worship to come on you? It's your job to engage your heart on purpose, hook it up with the congregation and the song and the praise team and worship God. And if you don't, you won't get the benefit of it. The Christian life is lived on purpose. Faith without what? Works, Works, which means corresponding action. Faith without works is dead. Let me say this before, and I think we'll pray, dismiss, whatever. But, uh, you know, uh, Sunday morning when Pastor Reverend Joel ministered miracle power to people. Well, I had someone testify that they were watching the replay by live stream. It was the replay, not the live, the replay. Because they're pastors and they had a service. So they're watching that afternoon. And when he started ministering down the road, that miracle power, the power of God hit her and threw her back into her couch in her living room watching the replay. The husband's question was, and it was a great question, that kind of power on a video through a replay that could knock some, how come we didn't have more instant manifestations of real healing miracles for us to see? Good question. Right? Well, let's answer that before we conclude tonight. You need to understand that healing is by degree. Healing, everyone say that, healing is by degree. Okay. And it's based on two factors. The degree of power administered. The stronger the power that's administered, healing's going to be to a stronger degree. You know, you can have 110 power, but you can have 220 power. Right? You get bigger power than that. So the stronger the power ministered. But then the other side of that is the degree of faith in the recipient. See, power, I mean great power, can be present, but it must be cooperated with. Power must be cooperated with. Brother Hagan told a story back when he was pastoring that they had, I think, someone they called mom. Uh, and she had been in a wheelchair for about four years with arthritis, I think. I, I had said polio earlier in the back room, but I think it was arthritis, if my memory serves me right. And uh, she'd been in that chair three or four years, and God led them. They had a morning prayer group like we do on Thursdays. And, and they said, let's all get in a car. or We're going to walk down. We're going to go to her house. And God said he's going to heal her. And they went and they knocked on the door and they went in and they surrounded her wheelchair and they sat there and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed in the Holy Ghost and they prayed the power down. So much so that it levitated her out of that chair. There's that much power in manifestation. I mean, elevated her 12 inches off the chair. I mean, you can see your whole head under her tush between her and the seat. Power of God. Well, that's, there's enough power there to heal her of that arthritis. But... She, the testimony was she would reach down, reach down to the arms of that chair and pull herself back in that chair. And then they would spend another block of time and pray for her again. 
And they prayed the power down. So much so that it levitated her out of that chair. And she would reach down and pull herself back in the chair. They did that four times. At the end of the fourth time, he just stopped. Pastor Hagin stopped and said, Mom or whoever, you don't have a lick of faith, do you? You don't have an ounce of faith, do you? And she goes, no, I'm going to die in this chair. And she did. See, it wasn't a lack of power in that instance. I'm talking about in that instance. Power wasn't the issue. Got enough power there to raise her up off her seat. But healing is by degree based on two conditions. The degree of power administered and the degree of faith. This is not a criticism of anyone. I'm just saying that one of the things we need to do in life and in this revival is learn to cooperate with power. Right? We learn to cooperate with power. What's that power here to do? There's healing power. But there's creative miracle power. There, there's power to change people's hearts. I mean, there's power to do all kinds of things. Amen. And I'm anticipating a real diverse move. We'll have all kinds of services. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's stand up tonight. Did you get it? Did you get a nugget in there?